as we come now before God and His Word. If you'd like to read with me, or you can just listen as well, uh, turn to Revelation in chapter 12. We're in, again, Revelation chapter 12. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, we know that your word comes from your mouth and it will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish your holy purposes. Lord, we trust your sovereign ways in these things, your wisdom, and we ask that in the listening and hearing and receiving of these things that you would bring us joy. Help us now to believe by your Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Revelation in chapter 12, and we read a good bit of this last week, although not all of it. This morning we have this whole chapter. Uh, it's quite a few verses, but we can take it all. Uh, this is Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. 
But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This is the word of God. Now, we are taking, during this Advent season, a less common approach to Christmas. We are listening in these weeks at at what I've called the unsilent night and the unseen events of Christmas behind the veil. We know that the Christmas scene is just like all the rest of life in the sense that there is not only the events of the physical world happening. There is also a spiritual world intersected with that. So what we're given here is seeing through to both heaven and earth at the same time. And the scene that we're given from this perspective is not all merry and bright, but it still can be joyful and triumphant. This Advent, we're looking more deeply at three prominent figures that we see in this Revelation 12 scene. We'll look at the dragon, the woman, and the child. Last week, we took a hard look at the dragon, at Satan and that ancient serpent who is at the hub of this cosmic conflict. And the dragon has come down now to earth. And he's come down not because he descends willfully, as Christ does when he becomes flesh. Christ descends willfully, but the dragon is thrown down to earth against his will when he's defeated in the heavenly war. And he is mad about it. It says here that the dragon comes down in great wrath. He is going to make hell on earth. That's a a heavy thing for us, but, but we take comfort in knowing that our Christmas is not just about a chubby cheeked child who is cute and wrapped in a little cloth. We know the scripture says the reason Christ, the Son of God, appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That this dragon will be destroyed. Lo, his doom is sure. But the dragon is not going down without a fight. He's going to try to burn down as much as he can in the process. And the very first thing we see him do when he's thrown down, we see in verse 13, is that he pursues 
the woman. So she is our focus today as the second prominent figure of the text. We really have two questions that we'll be looking at. The first is, who is the woman? And then, what happens to her? Who is the woman here? And what happens to her? Let's look at the first of those questions. Who is the woman? In this text of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, there is no specific name given for her. She's just called the woman. And when we see this huge set of events as intersecting with Christmas, which we should see it that way, we might then assume that the woman is Mary. We know her. Everybody knows Mary. She's she's the virgin who has found favor with God. She's the one who has conceived of the Holy Spirit, this child whose name will be called Jesus. It makes sense that it would be Mary, right? However, if we're to look deeper into this text, there is good reason to think that this woman in Revelation 12 is not Mary. At least not only her. In the whole book of Revelation, just for sake of comparison, there's one other prominent woman mentioned. She's a few chapters later, and she's very different from the woman who's mentioned here in chapter 12. We encounter another woman later in chapter 17. And the woman we find there is arrayed in purple and scarlet, She's adorned with jewels and pearls. She is glamorous, but also hideous. In the way she's described, she's holding a golden cup that's full of abominations and sexual immorality. And she is drunk with the blood of the saints. She's riding on a seven-headed, ten-horned, scarlet beast. And that woman that we find in chapter 17 is given a name. We're told that her name is written on her forehead, and her name is this. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes, Mother of Earth's abominations. So this woman that we see later, this woman riding the beast is Babylon. She then is not just one singular person. In the book of Revelation, she is symbolic of many people. And not just the ancient city or the ancient kingdom of Babylon. She's representative, a bigger depiction of all the earthly enemies of God. That's the woman riding the beast. So now in our text, in chapter chapter 12, where we see this woman who's fleeing the beast, it makes sense that this would not just be one singular person either. And that fits with what we see of her. We see right away, when we first encounter this woman in in, in verse 1, she's depicted already as larger than life, full of symbolic imagery. She's wearing the sun as her clothes. She's got the earth as a footstool. 
and she's got a crown of 12 stars on her head. And by the end of the scene, we see that the dragon pursues not just her, the woman, but the dragon pursues all of her offspring. We know from the Gospels that Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary had other children after she gave birth to Jesus. There are some even mentioned by name. She had four brothers who were named, and, and, or she had four sons. I guess Jesus had brothers, and then some girls. He had some sisters. We don't know how many, uh, but they all share the same mother of Jesus. Mary has many kids, but we know that, that the dragon doesn't just have a beef with Mary and her tiny little family. The word is not, woe to you, Mary, and your little family. It's, it's woe to the whole earth. The offspring of the woman are not just Mary's children. We're told that the offspring are those who seek to keep the commandments of God. The offspring are all those who hold to the testimony of Jesus, which means that the offspring are all the believers of Christ when he comes. So to pull all that together, that means if you have faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are one of the offspring of the woman. Which means, in answer to our question, who is the woman, the answer is, she is your mother. The woman of Revelation 12 is your mother. She's not just one person. She's representative of all the people of God who came before Christ came to the earth. The Virgin Mary is part of that. She's a figurehead of that, but she's just one part of a larger whole. The woman are these generations of faithful people who are pregnant in anticipation, waiting in the pains of childbirth for the Messiah to come. That's who we see here. So now that brings us to our second question. What happens to her? What happens to this woman? What comes of all the people of God who are leading up to Christ? And that's an important question for us because the fate of the woman is tied to the fate of her offspring. There is a sense in which what happens to her happens to you and to me. We'll look then in our, the rest of our time at three things that happen to the woman that she is pursued, she is protected, and she is provisioned. Let's look at these one at a time. First, the woman is pursued. We see from the text that the dragon initially intends not to deal much with the woman at all. His first focus is to devour the male child, the son of the woman that we'll look at next week. But when he is unsuccessful with this child, when he's thrown down to earth after he loses this great heavenly war, he doesn't just go, ah, shucks. 
He doesn't just surrender and wave the white flag and lay down and give up. He then takes out all of his wrath against the son upon the woman and her offspring. We hear it in verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now, the word pursue doesn't sound so bad, right? There's lots of things that pursue. But we know that that the pursuit here is not just a little chase. It's not like a game of tag that when you get touched, you're it. This pursuit is like the pursuit of a hunter who is going like a predator after the prey. The dragon is pursuing to consume the woman as he had intended to consume the child. So we're all aware that we are pursued all the time in lots of ways for lots of things, aren't we? This happens all the time, even when we're unaware of it. Politicians pursue us to get our vote. Tech companies pursue us to get our data. Hollywood pursues us to get our views. And just about everybody's pursuing to get our money, right? But the dragon does not pursue because he wants to get anything from us. He doesn't need anything from us that he doesn't already have. He pursues us just just to take us out, just to destroy us. He seeks to consume us, not even because he needs to eat like other predators do. He just seeks to do this to devour out of spite, out of fury against the sun. That's really wicked. And this should give us some perspective about who our real enemy is. You know, Christians often get locked in a bunch of culture wars, This isn't news to anyone. Lots of debate ongoing about marriage and economics and race and gender and so on. Maybe those things are good. Often we think that we're fighting for good things, and maybe sometimes we even are, but sometimes we get so absorbed in culture wars that we are missing the bigger things happening. If we choose to make culture wars our main battlegrounds, those squabbles might make us mistake the real war. You know that you are not really at war with the person across the political aisle. You are not at war across with the person across the office desk. You are not at war with the person across your dinner table. You're at war with the ancient serpent himself. That's what Paul reminds the church in Ephesus. We hear this too in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, Be strong in the Lord 
and in the strength of his might, you put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This heavenly war that was once waged in the skies is now raging on earth. And we need to see the schemes of the devil against us who intends to hunt and devour us. We need to see that, not to make us afraid, but to make us aware, to make us alert, to make us able to stand. The woman in Revelation flees into the wilderness because she knows that the dragon is after her, and he is after you too. Can you see him? That's the first that happens to the woman. She is pursued. The second is that she's protected. Even though the woman in Revelation stands and flees to escape this dragon, we know that it is not all up to her to save herself. If that were true, she'd be eaten up. On her own, this woman is absolutely outmatched against the cosmic powers of Satan. She would be easily pursued and munched up in one gulp without help. But God helps her and gives her several means of protection. There are a few that are listed in the text in very vivid imagery. One means of protection is this space called the wilderness. That's where the woman flees. It's a place of shelter that's prepared by God. God also gives the wings of an eagle. Do you notice that? Two eagle wings so that she's able to fly to the wilderness swiftly. And, and the protection is also by way of the mouth of the very earth. When the, when the mouth of the earth opens to swallow up this torrent of water that the dragon has spewn from his mouth to try to sweep the woman away. We've got wilderness and wings of eagle, mouth of the earth. These are clearly symbolic images, not to be taken literally, of course. We don't actually have a flying woman. They are pointing to some greater reality, that God has given multiple protections from all corners of his creation, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In heaven given wings, and on earth given wilds, and under the earth swallowed up the waters. Now, what exactly do those things symbolize? You know, some people try to pick this apart and match all that up to particular historical events or particular people, and I think that's just a mistake. We're not told exactly what these particular things are because they could be lots of things all at once. The dragon can have, does have, thousands of different means of pursuit. And God can have, does have, thousands of different means of protection. 
So I, in this moment right now, to each one of you, cannot tell each of you what particular pursuits and protections you are facing. In order to do that, we would need a lot of prayer and counsel and discernment and personal time to wrestle with those things, and then maybe would still left with question marks. But I can say that this is true for all of us who are part of the woman and, and her offspring. I can say this. God protects you from all perishing, but God does not protect you from all pain. Or, to put it another way, the dragon cannot consume you, but he can bite you. The woman here is absolutely protected by God. And yet she still faces the agony of her birth pains. The offspring of the woman are absolutely protected by God, and yet some of them are killed. They testify unto death. We're told that they, they have conquered the dragon by the blood of the lamb, by his own death, but that conquering still often comes with scars of our own that we bear too. And I say this just to remind all of us that, that pain and protection can both happen together. Pain and protection can both happen at the same time. There are some people who are tempted to think, if I am in pain, it must mean that God has forgotten me, has overlooked me, or worse, rejected me. There are some, especially during a Christmas season, you know, I, I, I look around at the other people around me and I see them on social medias and everybody looks all merry and Christmassy and all of that and all that just seems to make me feeling vulnerable and exposed. Something feels wrong here. Let me assure you, if you have faith in Jesus, you are his beloved in the midst of your pain. If you have faith in Jesus, he is your protector in the midst of the pursuit of the dragon. You'll suffer, but you won't be consumed. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That brings us now to the third. The woman is pursued, the woman is protected, but third, she is provisioned. Tried to find a nice way to put that, started with P. Uh, provisioned, meaning that she is provided for and supplied. By this, I don't just mean that God gives protection in the place that he has prepared. You know, the woman flees into the wilderness and she's protected on her way by the earth that swallows the river and the wings that carry her along. But did you notice what the woman does when she gets to the wilderness? Verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent to the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. 
She's nourished there, which means she, she eats. She's cared for with the provision of food. We see this many actual times in the scriptures. So just like Israel is pursued by the Pharaoh of Egypt into the wilderness where God feeds them with manna and quail, and just like the prophet Elijah is, is pursued by the wicked queen Jezebel into the wilderness where God feeds them by the hand of the raven bread and meat, so now also here the woman is pursued by the dragon into the wilderness where God feeds her with nourishment. And you'll notice that the woman doesn't need to prepare the food. It's prepared for her. Doesn't that sound nice? She only needs to eat it. Uh, Do any of you have a a grandma like this? Or or maybe some of you are like this as well. It's not about age or anything. I just think of of my grandma, who's the last one to sit at the table and actually take a bite of the meal that's there. You know, we've got the, the Christmas dinner, all the family comes over, and this woman is up and down and up and down and back and forth to the kitchen trying to feed everybody else, making sure everybody else is, is taken care of. And by the time that woman gets to actually eat, if she gets to sit down and eat, the food's cold. And people are already uh, putting it away in those little cottage cheese containers so that you can put it in the fridge and so you can do it all again tomorrow. That is not what's happening here. The wilderness has already been prepared for the woman by God. The fires have already been cooked, and the food is still hot. And this nourishment of provision that the woman is given is not hurried. So it's not as if she's got to sit down and take a quick bite you know, snarf it down so that she can get back on the run from the dragon. You know, this isn't a power bar in the middle of a marathon race. She is nourished, we're told, for 1,260 days. Boy, isn't that specific? Uh, It's later described as she's nourished for time and times and half a time. These are different ways in which the book of Revelation speaks about the full reign of Satan which means that the nourishment given by God for her is more than enough to last that whole time. We are provided with all we need, and there's no need to rush or gorge ourselves on the food. But we should also note that this nourishment, at least in this form, is not forever. That's actually a good thing. You know, at the end of the book of Revelation, when Jesus returns again, he casts down the dragon once and for all into the pit, together with all who belong to him. And then Christ's mission to destroy all the works of the devil is finally complete, is filled full. And at that time, we see a great feast that's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the woman and her offspring now enter again as Christ's bride, the one that he has made pure and bright. And from that bride, ooh, soft spot again, 
from that bride is this great eruption of rejoicing, celebration and hallelujahs of thanks as they feast together with Christ the Lamb, that God has made all things new forever. That's the marriage feast to come, but we're not there yet. For now, we are eating not at the great banquet hall. We are eating at campfires in the wilderness. Now, you may like a good campfire meal. I do. But we need to see these meals of nourishment as provisional. That this nourishment is good, is sufficient, but it's also for a set period of time until it's replaced by something better. You know, this Christmas season and the weeks leading up to it, we see lots of nativity scenes on TV and just driving around. Whenever you see Mary in the manger, See her, the individual. But also I want us to look for something bigger than her. To not only see her, to see this woman as part of the greater woman. The whole people of God. The faithful ones throughout history that you are also part of too. Here then is the woman who is pursued by the dragon and protected by God and provisioned in the wilderness until Christ comes. That's good reason for joy. Pray with me. Lord, help us to ponder and to be mindful of these truths that we would live as a faithful and unshakable people who are not arrogant against the dragon, but also don't cower from him as well. Help us to fly when we should, to receive the food that's good. We know that your protection for us is sure, and we give you all thanks in honor of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.